When I mention John 14, probably all of you have a mind that's going toward what Jesus said at the beginning of John 14. This is the beginning of the trinity of chapters that are phenomenal in message, 14, 15, 16. You come to chapter 17 and you get that high priestly prayer, the, the true Lord's Prayer in John 17 and the study that is just mesmerizing. Each verse is incredible. And as Pastor quoted from John 15 a moment ago, we, we think about how when Jesus was with His disciples about to leave them, you can almost see that they are, it's dawning upon them that they can't talk Him out of leaving. He really is going to leave. And He looks at these men, these disciples, He's poured His life into them. Judas has left by this time. And he looks at them and, I know you know the verses and you can, you can, uh, you can say it almost so rapidly, you, you miss the pathos. You miss the heartbeat of Jesus looking at his friends and he, he says to these troubled ones, let not your heart be troubled. Hey, fellas, you believe in God, don't you? Believe also in me. Hey, fellas, come up. Come up close. In my Father's house are many mansions, dwelling places. Come on. If it were not so, you know I would have told you so. Now look, I am leaving. And I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there ye may be also. Powerful words. And you continue to read through the conversation with all of them, and in particular Thomas, who says, we don't know where you're going. I, we don't know the way. Jesus, remarkable statement. Thomas, I am the way. Haven't I been with you long enough that you've picked up on this? And I'm the truth and the life. Now listen, you need to remember this. No man's going to come to the Father but by way of me. You keep reading his wonderful words. and He underscores it again. And it's as if he's reading what he's going to bequeath them with. What he's leaving in his will. I'm leaving. But you'll notice one verse, verse 27. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. And here he goes again. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. I'm a, I'm a kid from the, uh, from the 60s, and for the youngest of children in this room, that's the 1960s, <laughs> all right? 60s and 70s was my generation of being a, a kid. That was a strange time. Our, you talk about culture, 
our culture went through a dramatic, dramatic shock, just like our culture is constantly shifting again today. In the 60s, you had such revolution going on. Um, you had the, the, a music revolution going on. We had the British invasion. These moppy-haired guys who wore ties, by the way, in their first pictures, you'll see the Beatles as they were, as they uh, uh, came and sang their music, and then the others that came from Great Britain, and they began to turn the world upside down with their style of music. And I, I would say to you that the world of music has, has not recovered since that day. I mean, it has continued and continued, and we saw truly, though others would say there were other voices, the Elvises and the others who, who brought in the rock culture, and that would be true, certainly, that crowd came in in the 60s, and it took off. Dress was extremely strange in the 60s and 70s. For further reference, go back and look at some old yearbooks and see what people wore. It's incredible. It's amazing. I remember bell-bottom pants that were so big you needed six feet on either side of you to walk down a school hallway. I mean, they were just big old huge bell-bottom pants. And, and the design that was on those clothes were, were just freaky. I mean, they really were. I mean, uh, 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 strange designs. Uh, uh, paisleys on your pants. And I don't mean little bitty paisleys. I mean big boys. I mean big old paisleys on your pants. You say, how do you know? None of your business. And, uh, and uh, you just would we, we, wear these things. And, uh, and uh, I can remember when they announced in the school, public school, my principal got on the speaker system. He said, I knew this day was coming, but I regret that I've got to announce it. No longer are we going to require young men to keep hair off of their ears. And all of a sudden, you could wear your hair like uh, the rest of the world was wearing it as a guy. It was a strange time. The anti-war Vietnam and the... Uh, the the uh, demonstrations and the taking uh, college campuses by storm and holding uh, presidents in their, uh, in their offices and so forth. And it was, uh, it, was, uh, it was a unique time. Vocabulary changed during those days. There were words that came into the human vernacular during those days, some of which have passed off the scene for which we're all grateful. There are other words, they're still with us to this day, and they were birthed in, in that generation. Now, there were some words, we're, we laugh at them, we're glad they're gone. Words like groovy, you know? I'm glad that's gone, you know? That, 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 was, that was odd, you know? Uh, the term hippie, you know, referred to some unwashed, long-haired individual who was probably as high as a kite. He was a hippie. But there were words like, are you ready for this? Cool. Hey, man, that's cool. That was birth during that time. Now, we use that word all the time. Before that time, it was, it was, it was a reference to the temperature in a room. Hey, it's kind of cool in here, you know. But now it, it, was, a, it, it, it was birth in that generation of Cool. Hey, man, that's cool. And if it was really cool, it was boss. That's cool on steroids is what that word was. And if it was bad, it was bummer. That was all, that all came out of that generation. And then we, we stopped shaking hands. 
It was a unique way to, to greet people. You'd see it all over the place, especially around the young. Give me five. Give me five. And if you were really cool, if you were boss, you'd say, give me some skin, you know. You know. Well, that, you know, well, that went, that went to the high fives and the low fives and the, and, the, and, the, and the side bumps, chest bumps, head bumps. I mean, who knows where it's going to stop, you know. To this day, I, hopefully the Astros will be giving a few fives out tonight. <laughs> and there was another word that came out of that generation. And it came with two things, usually. It helped if you'd slouch when you said it. People would, and it came with a hand gesture. Peace, man. All we're saying is just we want peace across the globe. And we're going to burn your buildings down until you give us peace, man. The world's been wanting peace since the Garden of Eden. We want family peace, societal peace. Presidents talk of peace. Kings and prime ministers and presidents gather together to discuss world peace. Thankful for police officers and those in that world who help preserve the peace. NATO cannot give us peace. The UN does not give us peace. Nobel Peace Prize winners don't usually have peace themselves and they can't give peace. And when someone dies, we often hear, may they rest in peace. It's a world that's constantly been looking for peace. And we know the author of peace. We know the one who has brought peace. He is the prince of peace. The world looks for peace in an alcohol bottle, a drug needle, Immorality, a new job, a new spouse, a new, uh, a new car, more possessions, fame, power, and everything falls short of providing an individual or a family or a business peace. People are constantly looking for something they never can find until they find what they're looking for in Jesus Christ. And that's why you and I have been reminded throughout our few days here together, we have the answer. We have what the world needs. Anxiety abounds. You can't watch television without seeing commercials about people who are depressed. And you'll get help by taking this pill. Now look, I'm not against doctors and I'm not against any kind, of, uh, any kind of assistance medically. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But the answer to a, to a worry-filled world is not in a pill. It's found in the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Abraham and Sarah lacked peace. They had been told you're going to have you're going to have a child, and that child is going to be, uh, uh, it's going to, uh, your, your bloodline is going to count to the billions, and as the stars of the sky above, and Abraham and Sarah kept waiting, and kept waiting, and kept waiting, and out of frustration and anxiety, they took matters into their own hands, and the Middle East has never been the same since. Elijah 
lacked peace. These are, these are God's people I'm speaking of. Elijah lacked peace as he sat underneath the juniper tree. And he, he said, I just, and he went up into a cave and, and he hid. And, and the Lord said, what are you doing here? And he said, you just might as well take me. Just take me. Kill me. I'm the only one left. And the Lord said, Elijah, I got 7,000 others who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You're 7,001. <laughs> but Elijah was full of frantic anxiety. We've all been there. Let's be honest. Job, you know, there are times you read the book of Job, you feel like, man, he's on top. He's on top. He's going to make it. He's going to pull through. Yeah, listen to it. He's trusting God. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. When he's through testing me and, and, and working on me, I shall come forth as gold. Yeah, and then the next chapter, you think, he's about to commit suicide. <laughs> Somebody get on suicide watch. Job's about ready to lose it. He's saying, I wish I'd never been born. I wish the one who told my dad that a male child had been born had never come to my dad and told him. Interesting story to me is the book of Ruth that you'll find. Certainly you, you hear about Ruth, but there's a woman in there named Naomi. Naomi is absolutely stressed out of her gourd. She, she, she has been taken to the land of Moab because she was a submissive wife. She, she probably knew she wasn't supposed to go to Moab. God's people weren't supposed to go to Moab. But she goes to Moab because she's an obedient wife. And they get over there. And then her husband dies. And not only did he die, her two sons die. You talk about, uh, uh, how, how can it get any worse? And now she's stuck with two daughters-in-law. And she hears things are open back up in Bethlehem. She makes her way back to Bethlehem. And you know the story. Ruth goes with her. And, and she comes back into the city of, of Bethlehem. The ladies of Bethlehem are looking at Naomi. And they say, is, is that Naomi? I don't suppose, ladies, you'd like to hear that after 10 years. People looking at your, the wrinkles on your face and saying, is is, is, that Lula, Lula, is that Lucy? You know, is that Lulabelle? I mean, is that really? Uh, I'm trying to use names of nobody here, all right? It happens to be your middle name. I think it's a lovely name. I really do. Is that Naomi? She looked hard. She looked troubled. She looked anxious. She looked different. And what does Naomi say? Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant one. Don't call me a lady of peace. Call me Mara. My life has been bittered. My life is a mess. You read that in chapter 2. I just want to say, hang in there till chapter 4. Because you turn to chapter 4, she'll be sitting in a chair holding her grandchild. And she's weeping, tears of joy. So much so that she can't even name the child. You, you, you go read chapter 4. It was the neighbor ladies. They said, what are you, what are you going to name the child? She can't even... She can't even get a name out. So they said, well, well, we'll call him Obed. Now, if you don't want your kid named some strange name, don't cry all the time, you know? And so she's sitting there. She's crying. She's just overjoyed. Some people try to medicate their sorrow and troubles away, their anxiousness away. Some people try to medicate it. Some people try to meditate it. Jesus said, I want to eliminate it. Amen. And I want you to see some things here tonight. And before I go any further, can I just ask you, has the ministry troubled you? <laughs> Have people 
disappointed you? Have you disappointed yourself? Have you gotten to the point to where you're stressed? I can't get everything done. Have you been fearful? Frantic? Troubled? Do any of these words describe you? Anxious? Worried? Depressed? Any of those words kind of indicate the condition of, of your heart from time to time? I've had pastors tell me, Honestly, on Monday when they get up after Sunday, they think, why in the world do these people let me still be their pastor? After yesterday, that was horrible. I can't believe, I mean, I'm just no good. And I'm not, you know, and the devil just attacks. And I mean, they're under, I mean, they're fighting the blues. Now, maybe it doesn't hit you on Mondays. Maybe it hits you some other time. I don't know. And just the, the, the pain, the, 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 the decisions, the load, the weight the, the, the struggles of people, you know that there have been times that you have found yourself thinking, if only there wasn't the, weren't, weren't these people that I had to deal with, the ministry would be so much fun if it wasn't for these people. People are the ministry. We lack this peace even when we've given everything we can. We've given it all we've got and things still implode around us. And things still go wrong. You've poured your life into somebody and they come up to you and they say, we're going to be looking around for another church. What? I've invested countless hours in your life, in your family's life. I've invested money in your life. Yeah, well, and we thank you, Pastor. But we're going to go somewhere else. You've done what was right and things still go wrong. And Jesus says in verse 27, peace, I leave with you. Can I just break this verse apart? Can you look at it with me together tonight? I want you to see, first of all, Jesus was saying there's going to be, number one, the necessity of peace. He says, peace I leave with, notice the word, you. I'm not the most intellectual guy in the world, but you can go study that verse and you'll find that that word you is written in the plural. This pronoun is written in the plural, which means this. He was talking to every single one of those disciples. Are you catching this? He didn't say, now there are seven of you guys. You really need to pay close attention. Now you other four, can you just give me a little minute of time with these guys? Because you, you probably won't ever need this. But let me talk to you. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying every single one of you are going to need this peace. The necessity of peace. He, these are the best of men. They've seen Jesus Christ work. Are you catching this? They've seen the Lord do that which we've only read about. We would have loved to have seen it. They've seen Him calm storms. They've seen Him feed with feed multitudes with just a handful of bread and fish. They've seen him deliver people of demons and of disease. They've been committed to him. They've already been used by him. And there will be even <coughs> greater used of him in the days to come. They will write much of the New Testament. And Jesus says, you're going to need my peace. So tonight, don't sit here and say, you yeah. Oh, with your little Barney Fife attitude, I don't think 
I need anything. I think I've got my act put together. You're going to need peace. There are going to be times, friends, in which you can't put the pieces, the puzzle pieces of somebody's life together, even your own ministry. You're behind closed doors saying, I don't even know what I'm doing. You're going to need this peace. Now, maybe everything's fine right now. Your bills are paid. Your church budget is in the black. Uh, your kids are finally passing the fourth grade, you know, after a couple of years there. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, I shouldn't say that. Uh, you, you know, uh, your health is good. The dog came home. The cat ran away. I mean, it just couldn't get any better. Cat lovers, there you go. I'm glad for you. If everything is peaceful for you right now, I'm very happy. Don't sit there tonight and say, well, I hope folks are catching this. You're going to need the peace that Jesus is talking about here. There are going to be times you're going to get a doctor's report that's going to take your breath away. There are going to be times that you're going to get a phone call uh, of, of an issue going on in your family that you're going to think, I can't breathe. There are going to be times in which you're going to say, Lord, where did this come from? I can't handle this. You're going to need this peace. You're going to need to find an anchor in this verse. It's a necessity. Jesus says, I'm leaving something here for you. And I think for all of us, we can look at it from some kind of a, of a, uh, a theological view tonight. And I, I want you to understand it theologically, but I want you to understand that this is not just a, a shalom word that you hear in, this, in the area of Israel. This is something that the Lord is saying to His true followers. You're going to need my peace. Hear me. What you can't find in, a, in more finances, what you can't find in people visiting your church, and what you can't find in, in, uh, 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 in, in, in something else going well for you, Jesus is saying, you're going to need what I'm telling you. I'm leaving here for you. I'm leaving you my peace. Sometimes it's individuals that will take away your peace. Some people come along and they just, they just snarl. and you feel, you feel like you just preached a great message and they meet you out, and, out by the door and and, and they say something like, Pastor, we're going to be looking around at some other churches. And then it just eats on you the rest of the afternoon, the evening, and you carry it with you the rest of the day and the rest of the week. Sometimes it's individuals who break your heart and take away your peace. Sometimes it's an incident that you weren't prepared for. Sometimes it's being isolated. You feel like nobody knows what I'm going through. That's why a conference like this can be such an encouragement. Probably the best thing some of you have done is just interact with somebody else and to, and to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. But sometimes you're going to feel isolated and feel like I'm all alone. And then some of you have a disposition in which in, an introspective nature. You're just introspective. You second-guess yourself and you question yourself and, 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 and you feel within yourself, I just don't know what I'm doing. I might as well just, maybe I ought to go get a job doing something else and so forth. And, you, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to quit teaching my Sunday school class. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be as active in the church here at Arise or some other church. I'm not going to keep on in my church ministry. I'm just going to let it go. People. Problems personal insights you know what happens it'll affect your marriage and you'll take your sorrows home and you and your spouse 
will not enjoy one another. Why? Because you've lacked this peace. You're all troubled about something. It'll affect your ministry to other people. You'll take it out on other people. You can't rejoice with those who are there. You're thinking about those who aren't. I don't know how many times I've said to pastors on a platform or somewhere else, man, we got a good crowd tonight. This is great. I'm trying to encourage the pastor. And he'll say, yeah, but I don't know. I'm looking around. I'm seeing some people. Oh, pastor, we're going to have a great time. I just, we're just, this is wonderful. This is a good time. And it, sometimes you can't see the blessings for some of the sorrows. I get it. I've been there a thousand times and more. It'll affect your marriage. It'll affect your ministry to others. It'll affect your mentoring, your discipling, and the raising of your own kids. And your sorrow and your anxieties and your worries, well, you'll take it out on your kids and your kids are going to say, you know, this thing about Christianity that mom and dad say is so important. I don't see it being that great. Don't let your kids grow up in a home in which they think, Dad and mom are just miserable people. They're serving the Lord, but boy, they're miserable trying to exist with it. Jesus says, I'm leaving you my peace. Understand what I'm willing to you. I'm leaving, but I'm giving you something as I leave. Not a portion of it, not a part of my peace. I'm leaving you all of it. My peace. I'm going to tell you something. When you get to this point to where you're spiritually exhausted, Lacking this peace, let me just tell you from personal experience, your, the passion for the work begins to diminish. You just go through the motions. You do what you're supposed to do, but there's very little fervency to it. You become easily angered. Little things irritate you. You start questioning the motives of other people and the people that work with you and along beside you want to avoid you because you're, you're just, you've lacked peace. Cynicism takes over. You only see the negative. You only see the ugly in life. You only see the ugly in people and in tasks and ministry. You can't think straight. You, 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 your heart is controlling your head. You don't think right about yourself. You don't think right about your church. You don't think right about your Sunday school class. You don't think right about your group class, whatever you want to call it. You don't think right about your family. You're not as productive because you're just going through the motions. And the truth is you get to the point to where you don't even care anymore. You, you allow it to go on and you don't have any peace. And you get to the point you say, well, I, I don't even care. You become resentful of others. Especially those who seem to be enjoying life. And enjoying the ministry. Why? Because you're spiritually exhausted and you, you haven't found this peace. When I say found it, you haven't accessed what's already there my wife came home and said one day she said hey i bought us a couple of toothbrushes hey oh great okay thanks you know i'd been using my toothbrush for i don't know a couple of weeks maybe three and one morning i was after brushing my teeth with it i was rinsing my mouth out and i was shaking my toothbrush in my other hand you know and and uh it hit the side of the sink, and all of a sudden, my toothbrush went. <laughs> I looked at that thing, and I said, Lynn, my toothbrush is vibrating. She said, are you just now realizing that that's a vibrating toothbrush I bought you? I said, you didn't tell me. 
She said, where do you think a little button is on there? I said, I thought it was decoration. I didn't know what it was. Look at there, off, on, off, on. I said, I've been doing it the old-fashioned way, you know, lifting weights while doing my teeth at the same time. You know. I didn't know what I had. And this preacher up here tonight is quoting this verse, and he's saying to God's people, Jesus is saying, I've left you something. I've left you my peace. And we go, yep, yep, amen, that's right, that's true. And I don't think we understand what we have. I don't think we get it. Because the next time something goes contrary to the way in which we want it to be, we, we forget what Jesus said, I've left you. We get frantic. We get out of sorts. And we get to feeling worried. And, 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 we, and we get to the point to where we, we take it out on other people and we feel sorry for ourselves because we start comparing the size of our problem to the size of our ability of solving it. Rather than taking a look at the size of our problem and comparing it to the size of my God. And recognizing there's nothing that took him off guard. Nothing surprises him. And he left me the peace to go through it. The necessity of peace. Number two, the superiority of this peace. Not only is there going to be a necessity for it, there's a superiority of this peace. You say, what do you mean? Well, look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you. Look at this. My peace I give unto you. Your peace? Yeah, my peace. Jesus was saying, you've seen me calmly look at the storms and say, shh, that's enough. He goes, I'm going to leave that with you, that calmness of nature. In a few hours from this point, not too long from this point right here, uh, he was going to be arrested, slapped, spat upon, beard plucked out, uh, accused uh, lied again about uh, uh, he's going to be cursed and crucified and guess what there's no anxiety attack on the part of Jesus there's no emotional breakdown you say well of course not it's Jesus he says I'm going to leave you my peace as a man a hundred percent man you've seen my peace you're going to see my peace and I'm going to leave you my peace. So there's no room for worry. Are you worried about something tonight? Did you know that Jesus knows, the Lord knows, that you've got a bill you don't know how you're going to pay? He knows. So live at peace. He knows your kids need some new shoes. So quit worrying about it. Pray. Work to that end. Quit being frantic. He knows that you've got that project at work or here at church or at your church. He knows you're thinking, how am I going to get it all done? And, you, and you're about to pull your hair out. You don't know what you... He, he knows. He knows you're waiting on that doctor's report and you fear every time the phone rings in the hospital or the doctor is on the other line. He knows. Just let him have it. He says, I'm going to give you my peace. You know the greatest of quarterbacks in the NFL... I mean, the greatest ones, your friend, your, the ones you would choose and, and the one I would choose. You know, the greatest quarterbacks that have ever lived, they're, they're Joe Cool in the, in the pocket. I mean, and there is blood and animals that are just, just uh, going in every direction around them, and they're standing back there, you know. And they're, I mean, bodies flying in every which, trying to 
uh, maul him. And he's standing back there. And the greatest quarterbacks are calm in the midst of a turbulent ball game. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus says, you're not going to get that kind of peace. You're going to get my peace. The kind of peace that goes beyond that. Isaiah 26 and verse 3, you know it, you, you've known it, you've quoted it. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. Did you know that verse would have been fantastic if it just simply said, Thou wilt keep him in peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. That would have been a powerful verse, <coughs> but, but God told Isaiah, write it like this, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. You study that out in the original, you'll find that it's a double whammy. It's, it's like, thou will keep him in peace, peace. It's like extra heaping of ice cream on top of the cake. He goes, I will give you a double portion of peace. I believe in heaven we will have the triple form. You know, everything in heaven will be in triple format. Peace, peace, peace. But you can actually have perfect peace. Her name was Frances. Her dad when she was born, was an admirer, a student of church history, and one of his heroes was Nicholas Ridley. James quoted some things about Ridley tonight and the fact that he was one of the martyrs of yesteryear. Mr. Havergal wanted to have a son, but he had a daughter. So he named her Frances, Ridley Havergal. Frances was a girl who grew up a brilliant young lady, a student of all kinds of languages. She, she in her later teen years and into the 20s, knew eight languages, fluent. She read her Bible every day, either in Hebrew or in Greek, just like you, I'm sure. She never got married, and she was sick almost all of her life. And in her late 30s, and I think around the age of 40, if I remember correctly, she just came home from getting the doctor's report telling her that her lung disease, they had done everything they could for her, and that they couldn't do anything else to give her continued life. And it would just be a matter of time before she would pass. Frances came home. She had written many po poems and she had written many hymns, some of which have been sung by God's people down through the years. But getting that report from the doctor, she came home and she began to write these words. Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace over all victorious in its bright increase. Perfect, yet it floweth fuller every day. Perfect, yet it groweth deeper all the way. State upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed. Finding, as He promised, perfect peace and rest. The world offers a cheap version of peace. They, they say, you'll, you'll, you'll have peace if you just try our amusements. 
The world offers a counterfeit version. It's found in money, sports, TV, when your ball team, your favorite team wins. It's all conditional peace. It's fleeting. It's there for a little bit of time and then it's gone. Jesus says, I'm not giving you something that's fleeting. I'm not giving you something that's conditional. I'm not giving you something that's counterfeit. I'm not giving you something that's cheap. I'm giving you my peace. What is it? Complete inner calmness, a strength and calmness in the midst of trials. Who is it that gives it to us? The eternal, unchangeable one who has the power who has the purpose and the passion to supply this peace. He alone can. It's not found in our church. It's not found in the ministry. It's not found in marriage. It's not found in money. It's not found in some other arena that we consider to be success. All those things are wonderful in their own way and in their own place. But only Jesus gives us this kind of peace. Perfect peace. The superior peace. The kind of peace that you can say, you know something? I don't have to live a life that's up and down with my emotions. I don't have to be a person filled with anxious worry. I can be stable in the midst of every storm because of the necessity of peace, the superiority of this peace, which leads me to the accessibility of this peace. How do you get it? I feel like I'm just kind of speaking in theoretical terms, you know. Jesus said, I'm leaving you my peace. And if you're sitting there tonight and you haven't been already thinking it, maybe you ought to right now. Okay, Morris, I get it. I see Jesus said that. There's a lot of times I don't have this peace. A whole lot of times I don't live with this peace. I mean, how do I access this peace at those particular times? I mean, I I uh, I don't see it happening. Jesus says, I give you my peace. Do you understand what he's saying? It's a gift. I hope that you all, as a child of God, have known what it is to give the gospel and witness to somebody. I hope that you're constantly looking for opportunities to tell somebody about the Savior. I really do. When you're talking to somebody about the Lord, what do you tell them? You tell them that God is a holy God. You'll never earn or work your way to God. But Jesus paid what you could not pay. If you'll call on Him and accept what He did for you on the cross, paying your sin indebtedness to a holy God and asking to be your Savior, He'll come into your life and save you. Do you say to that individual, and you're going to feel so much better? I hope you don't. Because it's not a feeling. It's a gift of eternal life. And what do you tell them? You take this gift of eternal life. You take this gift of grace by faith. Now, if you've already made that decision for the Lord, I hope, I trust that you have. If you've already accepted the Lord, you get it tonight. It's a gift. And you don't live by feelings. I'm telling you what, I'm going to heaven. Christ forgave me. He's my Savior. He's my Lord and Savior. I'm going to heaven and I accepted His promise. I'm trusting in Him. Then when it comes to understanding that He gives us His peace, friends, the same principle is true. I give you my gift of peace. So accept it. You say, what do you mean? Accept it. By faith. It's there. You say, how do I access it? Take it. It sounds something like this. Now, Lord, you know I'm going through a real difficult time right now. 
you promised me that you'd give me your peace. And I'm hurting. I'm scared. I'm lonely. I'm weary. I'm troubled. I'm anxious. I'm battling depression. As best I know how, I'm taking your gift. Because look at the end of verse 27. He gives a command. It almost sounds like a piece of poetry. It almost sounds like a song. But he says, as a command, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. In other words, he's saying, stop being fearful. I'm giving you what you need. I'm giving you lavish, full, providential peace. So accept it by faith. God, I'm accepting your peace right now. Holy Spirit, you promised me that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. You say, but Morris, I don't feel like I have his peace. Then you tell your feelings to take a hike. The psalmist said in Psalm 27 in verse 13, listen to it. I would have fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Not just someday, in the land of the living. I would have passed out. I would have fainted unless I believed. I took him on his promise that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You tell your mind that it's wrong. You say, well, I don't feel like God's listening to me. He promises he'll always hear your call and deliver us in his own way, in his own time. You tell your heart to quit feeling the way it's feeling. You tell your mind, you tell your eyes that they're wrong. It's been pledged to you. It's been promised to you. It's been purchased for you. It's been made for you. It is sealed for you. His peace, it's there. Accept it by faith. The psalmist started talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Come on! Now that's hidden in the Hebrew, but I think it's there. <laughs> Cut it out! Hope thou in God, who shall yet be the health of your countenance. He's talking to himself. I love that. I didn't. That's not original with me. An old preacher of yesteryear said... Um, you need to stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? That's talking to yourself. And why are you depressed, disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, who shall yet be the praise of your countenance. You say, but I have a big need. <laughs> I got some great news for you. You don't have a need that's beyond him. You don't have a burden too heavy for him. You don't have a sorrow he can't relieve. You don't have a void in life that he cannot fill. You don't have a closed door that he can't open. You don't have bad health that he can't heal. You don't have a soul that doesn't look like you're ever going to get saved that he can't save. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Friends, he's not only able, he's good. Because he's able to do that which we even think about. Friends, listen, I'm not talking about the power. This is not the power of positive thinking. 
or some guy down the street here that says, you can have your best life now. I'm not talking that. This is the promise of an all-powerful God. My peace I leave with you. How do you access it? By faith. The necessity of this peace, the superiority of this peace, the accessibility of this peace. Can I get you to, to understand that in a broader context, Jesus is going to say there's one more thing. Just turn a couple of chapters over to chapter 20, would you? And he's going to give us the ministry of peace. In John 20, Jesus is now risen from the dead. It says in verse 19 of chapter 20, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled. Well, why is that? It tells you, for fear of the Jews. Okay, well, sure, they were troubled. They were anxious for fear of the Jews. All of a sudden came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them. Here it comes. Shalom. Peace be unto you. Well, I guess so. They're all standing around talking, saying, you know, what are we going to do? I mean, you know, are they going to come for us next? What are we going to do? And then all of a sudden there's Jesus. I don't know about you, but I would have started screaming like a junior high girl. I'm telling you. No wonder Jesus immediately said, peace, peace, shh, peace be unto you. Don't be, don't be troubled. And the verse 20 says, and when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Man. Then said Jesus to them again. Here it comes again. Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. This is not just a missionary's verse. This is every child of God, every true disciple that's been committed and commissioned. Are you catching this? To make more disciples. That's an original thought. You haven't heard that this week, but let me just mention it. We have been called to make disciples. And what's he saying to you? As the Father sent me, and as I have tried to give you guys peace, even so send I you. Here's your ministry. Go tell them about the Prince of Peace. They need to know what it is to have peace with God. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Colossians 3.15 to the child of God, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. To get saved is to be at peace with God. And then as a child of God, we're to live with the peace of God. Jesus said, even as the Father sent me to help you guys learn about peace, even so send I you to do the same thing. I leave you my peace. Now go have a ministry with it. Go have a ministry of giving peace. I say to every single one, every child of God who's in, quote, full-time ministry, and those of you who are in the ministry full-time, who are got the Lord's people, you're to have a ministry of going forth and telling others, I know a way to live with peace that you can't find in any other capacity. I have found everything you're looking for, friend, in Jesus Christ. Go tell your neighbors. Go tell people you work with. Go tell people you go shopping to and see. Go, go, go everywhere you can and let people know about the giver, of peace. A 17-year-old boy that was in my youth ministry 
called me one afternoon and he told me a story. He said, Brother Morris, he said, I need you to pray for me. And I said, okay, what's up, Mike? A few days earlier, his mom had sent him down to a little mom-and-pop market just down the street from their home and uh, to pick up a loaf of bread or something. She said, Michael, get down there and, and get me uh, bread for, for supper tonight. And he was telling me on the phone, he said, I walked in <coughs> this little store and there was a troubled lady behind the counter who worked there and she, whether or not she was the manager or an employee, just an employee, I don't know, but she, she was depressed. She was down. And you just got to know this kid, Mike. Mike was always singing a song or whistling or humming or talking to somebody. His mouth was always moving. Got in trouble at school all the time. He's just, he's just a motor mouth, just, just always talking. Mouth always humming, singing. He loved the Lord. He, he's a pastor today in Georgia. Mike uh, walked in and he was probably whistling. I don't know. And she just simply said, and when he came in the store, she said, Hello, how you doing? He looked at her and he said, I'm doing terrific. How about you? Well, she looked at him like he was from a different planet. He went and got the loaf of bread and came up and purchased it and left. A second day, he went inside that store and same lady, he walks in, hello, how you doing? He said, hey, I'm doing terrific. Good to see you. I got to get some eggs. My mom sent me down here. Went over and got the little dozen eggs, made the purchase and left. Third day, hello, how you doing? He said, are you the only one who works around here? You're always here when I come in. He says, I'm doing super. Good to see you. He went over and got the pound of sugar or whatever and made the purchase. Fourth day, the same. Fifth day, he walked in this little store. Hello, how you doing? He said, hey, I'm doing terrific. Good to see you again. He went and got the items and put them up on the counter and before she turned to ring him up, she looked at him and she said, Terrific, terrific, terrific. Kid, is that all you know how to say? <laughs> if she only knew how much that kid could talk, she never would have said that. <laughs> he said, No, ma'am. He said, I can say different things. And she said, Every time you come in my store, you're always saying, I'm doing terrific. She said, Do you ever have a bad day? He said, Well, of course. And by the way, he didn't, he, didn't, he, he didn't have a perfect home. He didn't. He had, he had troubles at home that I'm not sharing with you. She said, well, how come I never see your troubles? She said, every time you come in, you seem to be on top of things. He said, I'm glad you asked. He said, I got to get this <coughs> stuff home to my mom. But he said, he goes, I want to give you something. Mike never went anywhere without a gospel track, and he pulled one out of a pocket somewhere, and he said, here, I want you to read this. And he goes, I, I, I want you to take the time to read this, and he said, it'll tell you why I am as I am. He goes, I, I'm going to come back and make sure you've read it. Okay? Yeah, okay, she said. Came home, he called me. Brother Morris, pray for me. I'm going to go back and talk to her. She needs to get saved. I said, I will, Mike. 
It was either that afternoon or the next day Mike walked inside that store and he told us the story in the whole youth group the following Sunday when I gave time for testimonies. He walked in that store and he walked over to the counter and he, he said, Ma'am, did you read what I gave you? She said, Yeah, kid, I read it. He said, Did it make sense to you? She said, Sort of. He said, Well, let me make sure. He pulled out a small Bible and he showed her, he showed her Christ. And across the counter, a 17-year-old boy led a troubled, depressed, weary, anxious woman to Jesus Christ. Why? Well, you already know the answer. He had peace. And it showed. He had what she needed. He had what this world needs. And we come in contact with them everywhere we go. We're to have a ministry of peace. Lord, open my eyes. Help me to see people like you see them. And let me show them the way to you, to peace, to be at peace with God. And let me help others when I come into church. Don't come into church saying, I wish somebody would ask me how I'm doing. Because I'd love to tell them. There's some people you never ask them, how are you? They start telling you, no, I didn't mean I need all that info. I was just saying hi. Walk into church with the spirit of who, who, could I, who could I be a help to today? Who could I come along and lift the burden off of them? Who could I share the peace of God with today? Do you need this peace tonight? It's there. If not tonight, you will. Just keep going to bed at night. Keep getting up in the mornings. Keep living life. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. What a, what a promise. What a bequeathed gift from the Prince of Peace. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. So let, don't let your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Father, I pray tonight that you'll help us to live in light of this. Encourage your people tonight. Anyone who needs to be encouraged, let them be strengthened. Anyone who's been bothered by other issues, Lord, please strengthen them. There are people tonight, Lord, who are probably facing things that I wouldn't have a clue about. I wouldn't know. There are many of us who are probably going to have things happen in the next day or week or year that could truly consume us if we let it. But Lord, help us to find the anchor in your peace. Our heads are bowed. How many tonight would say, Morris, I don't know about anybody else, but I needed this. God challenged me and God spoke to me. I needed this tonight. Would you lift your hand across the room? God challenged me. With your heads bowed, let's all stand. Let's just stand. You want to get on your knees and pray? Let's do it. I'm going to get on my knees behind the pulpit. You, you want to do that? You want to, you want to seek another place to pray? Just stay seated and pray right there. You find that private place and tell the Lord tonight, Lord, I heard from you. You've challenged my heart. God, and help your people. God, help your people tonight. Encourage us and strengthen us for the battles that we face. In your blessed name, we pray.